Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you are with us. More than 65 million Americans care for a vulnerable loved one, some type of chronic impairment. Maybe it's age-related. Maybe it's disease or trauma. Maybe it's a special needs kid. Maybe it's alcohol or addiction. Maybe it's mental illness. Whatever the impairment, there's always a caregiver. And if that is your journey, you're in the right place. And we're happy to have you along with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a little form on the front page. Please take a moment to fill it out if you've got something that's on your heart, that's on your mind. If you want me to call you back from the program, there's no rules. It's just whatever's on your mind as a caregiver. I want to have a way for you to be able to vent that out and share it because isolation is one of the most crippling things that we deal with as caregivers. This is why we do the program. Grateful to have you along with us. Thanks to uh, AFR for hosting this program, American Family Radio, and the Truth Network and His Radio for picking it up and all our other affiliates across the country. Also, by the way, when you go to our website, there's the podcast, and you can it's a free podcast. Please subscribe to it, share it with others, and there's 650 episodes out there now that you can listen to. We put music, put the show, special bonus materials, interviews, all kinds of things we put out there. Please take advantage of that. Hey, I want to share something with you in our opening block here. As caregivers, you know, we regularly feel intense pressure to fix or achieve. Do you feel that way? Do you look at your loved one's circumstances or other circumstances and just always feel like it's up to you to kind of fix this or achieve it? Yet, despite our best efforts, many of the circumstances we face seem unyielding. It just doesn't change. Our self-judgment over these things beyond our control often leads us, though, to an incorrect verdict of failure. We keep thinking that it's all up to us. We get it wrong or it doesn't work. It doesn't change. And then we assume that we're failures. Does that sound familiar at all to you as a caregiver? Well, I tell you what, let's take a step away from the caregiving world. All right. Let's talk about the slap heard around the world. You know, with the 2022 Academy Awards, I know this has been talked about to death when Will Smith you know, got up on stage and uh, assaulted Chris Rock in front of, uh, wow, global audience. All right, we've, we've talked about that part ad nauseum. Everybody, everybody's talked about that. But let me talk about something, a principle here that we saw modeled that affects us as caregivers, I think that has a teachable moment for us as caregivers. Chris Rock responded with extraordinary restraint. Did you notice that? He didn't strike back. It didn't fall apart. He was stunned, regained his composure, and went on with the show. And, you know, because he did that, he walked away with nearly universal approval because he didn't worsen an already awful situation. And not only did he handle himself well on stage, but, you know, there's been a media frenzy afterwards, and there will be for some time, I'm sure. But he's remained quiet about the event. He's hardly said anything about it. He had a couple of shows that he did. He said, I'll talk about when I'm ready. He's, um, he's chosen to address this incident on his own timing. 
when the temperatures are cool and when he's in control of the message. Now, what can we learn from that as caregivers? Well, we regularly face situations that often tempt or provoke us to intense emotional reactions. You ever felt that way? I mean, that you're ready to absolutely lose your cookies over this thing. I don't know if that's a technical term. But you know, taking a page from Chris Rock, we can incorporate a simple strategy into an often uncontrollable experience. And here it is. You ready? You can write this down if you want to. If you don't make it worse, it counts as a win. I'm going to say that one more time. If you don't make it worse, that counts as a win. Put that one in the win column. You didn't make it worse. And why is that important to us? Because we as caregivers regularly come up against things that are beyond our control. Things that are often spiraling out of control as a result of someone else's behavior or choices. What happened to Chris Rock, for example, there's no way he could have anticipated this. It's unprecedented. And when Will Smith did what he did, it was like, wow, this came out of nowhere. Well, show me a caregiver that doesn't understand that. Something that just comes out of nowhere. When you have people with particularly cognitive impairments, things are going to come at you from all kinds of places. It could be an altercation like what you saw with Chris Rock and Will Smith. It could be a financial thing that hits you. Uh, it could be a medical thing that erupts. The list of things that we face as caregivers is a rather lengthy one. And we're not powerful enough to fix all these things. We're not astute enough to be able to delve into all these things and, and, and take control of it and, and make it better. But we have the power to make it worse by overreacting, by losing our temper, by making it all about us we end up distracting from the root issue or the real issue. If we could just stand back and, again, look at what Chris Rock did. The real issue was not Chris Rock. The real issue was Will Smith. But if Chris Rock had acted out and responded in kind, then it would have been his reputation that is sullied as well. He walked away from that thing with, with a lot of admiration and a lot of applause because he handled himself well in a really an impossible situation. And we understand that as caregivers. We find ourselves in impossible situations regularly. And so are we handling ourselves well? Do we feel calmer? Do we feel a little bit more healthier? no matter what's going on around us. When we restrain our emotions and master our response to any given circumstance, we live a bit calmer and can add more victories to the win column. Do you need some victories in your win column today? Would you be willing to accept my premise that if you don't make it worse, that's a win? I know it doesn't seem like it'd be much of a win, but what is the goal here? Is your goal really to fix someone else, another human being? Is your goal to, to alter their behavior so that it doesn't cause any more flare-ups or, or drama points? 
do you have that kind of power? No. The goal for us is not to fix it. The goal for us is to live more peacefully in it. So that no matter what comes our way, or to be uh, more specific to the topic we're talking about today with this example, no matter what assaults us, that we are prepared to think a little clearer and not make it worse. If you don't make it worse, that counts as a win. Again, it doesn't necessarily feel like a win. And that's why we have to retrain our minds in this, to be able to look at this in the bigger picture. Daniel Webster, you know, you've heard of Daniel Webster, wrote, wrote a dictionary. <laughs> he said, liberty... You substitute the word freedom if that helps you. But liberty, freedom, exists in proportion to wholesome restraint. Can we master our own responses? And by the way, we don't need to use examples of movie stars and comedians. There's another example of someone who was assaulted, who used enormous restraint. And that was our Savior. He's our model. He's the standard. And the same spirit that gave him restraint is available to you and me. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We've got a great interview coming up in the next blocks that you're not going to want to miss with a phenomenal couple caring for two daughters with Huntington's disease. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. My father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? (laughs) Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. The Word of God tells us many times in one form or another, fear not. Today in the world, many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Again, that's psalm91 at afa.net. Kill the reward for tomorrow, joy for your sorrow. 
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. And he does know the plans he has for you. That is my wife, Gracie, from her CD, Resilient. You can see more about that at hopeforthecaregiver.com. Just click on the music tab. and You can hear a lot of different things from Gracie and from me. This program is designed to strengthen those who are caring for chronically impaired loved ones. And nowhere is that more um, brutal, I think, than in caring for somebody with Huntington's disease. And you all have heard me talk about this disease several times. I've been involved with several things on their national platform. Uh, this disease was in my family. Uh, distantly, I, did, I was not affected by it, nor was my father, but he was very concerned about it because his aunt was. And I have a couple here that I want to introduce you to. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's Elton and Laquita Higgs, and they're in Michigan. They've got a new book out called Shattered Dreams But Hope. And they sent me this book, and I read it, and it is is quite moving. Now, Huntington's disease, for those who don't know what this is, it is a genetic disease that is uh, a combination, basically, of, of Lou Gehrig's, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's all wrapped up into one. It is a horrific disease. And you don't necessarily know that you have it until later in life, uh, sometimes is in your 30s or even maybe even late 30s or early 40s. By the time you've been able to have um, children and that it's passed on to, and it's not a regressive gene uh, that, that genetic disease, it is one that is, if you have it, you got a 50-50 shot of passing it on to your kids. And if they get it, they got a 50-50. So it doesn't just diminish over time. It comes back with a vengeance every time until it stops, until it's not. Now, once it's broken, it's broken, and it's not going to come back. But it is always fatal. It is, it is again, a horrific disease. And into this disease, this couple um, – was taken in, in, in this very, very dark, dark place with their daughter. They adopted a, a, a young girl. She was just a baby, and she developed this. And uh, and then she ended up having a child that they also adopted. So they adopted their own granddaughter through this process. And so I wanted to have them on the program, talk about this a little bit. So Elton and Laquita, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your heart in this book your pain, your sorrow, and ultimately, though, how you allowed the scarred hand of our Savior to hold on to your scared hand through this very frightening journey of Huntington's disease and what you've learned. So, so welcome to the program. Thank you. It's Thank good you. to be with you. Yeah. I, um, I want to start off with you, Laquita. I was, as I was reading the book, I, I wanted to jump into this journey with you. I'm just jumping right into this. And on, um, on page 32, you say, over and over, you kept trying to change Cynthia's behavior, to hold her accountable. And you kept puzzling over the fact that she seemed to be able to make choices. So why couldn't she choose to be reasonable? And you could see her as being agreeable and kind around somebody she wanted to impress and then being rude and sullen with you. And you came to understand that that the Huntington's patients, that, or they call it HD, can choose to be sensible at times. It's hard work, and they can't sustain it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Talk a little. Talk a little bit about that, Laquita. Well, it, it's 
that's one of the, I think, the most baffling thing to, it was to me for this disease because you do try to, to keep teaching them, especially if it's your child, and uh, yet that doesn't work, and, and it takes a good while to learn that. It, it took me a long time to realize uh, I've got to just accept her as she is, whether I like it all or not, and just love her. Uh, but it, it's it's hard to get to that point, and I made so many mistakes in trying to get there and trying to understand it all. I was just going to interject. There have to be boundaries sometimes, but they there to be necessary boundaries and not just preferable boundaries. Right. I remember so well when a, a pastor, this was after we had uh, been through an awful lot with, with uh, Rachel, the second one, and um, we, he said to us, I see, it now, see you now. She had just graduated from high school, and we'd had such a time. And uh, he said, I see you now as a caregiver, not a parent. And that, made a, that may sound simple, but it made a big difference to me because I could just uh, accept her and love her and not try to change her because it was counterproductive when I tried to, tried to stop her from doing so-and-so. Just uh, go ahead and accept it. If it's one of those things you can accept, it's only what is it, property or in one case... I thought, this is only a plant. Just go ahead and let her tear it up and cut it all to pieces. It's okay. Well, you, you reference this. In the, it does make sense. You reference this in your book where you said they, are, they exhibit childish behavior but have no ability to grow and learn as a child. They can't hang on to the thought. That's they right. can't grasp it. And so it's just – it's it's um, – Whatever they desire at that moment is unleashed without any regards, oftentimes, to uh, safety, consequences, uh, responsibilities, or anything. That's right. And, yeah. and, and this, is a, uh, this is where you guys found yourself for many, many years. And, and, and I don't think people quite understand the heartache that's involved with HD until you've walked with people through this, that you're having to have law enforcement come to the house because these are these – are, childish behaviors um they are berserk behaviors with adult consequences and yeah. there were there were people that had to come to the house and restrain her and, and there was one scene and i want you to talk about this what this was like um uh, and, and for those who don't know what this disease is please take a moment to go look and you could go out to hd um i think it's hdsa the huntington's disease society of america i've spoken at several of their conferences and you could see a little bit more about this. There are approximately a quarter of a million people in this country that are affected by this disease. And you can, but you, what you see is you see these people who one day they're fairly normal. And then you see this progression as soon as this diagnosis uh, comes to fruition where you start seeing it. And it may start off with the, the body jerking spastically. They used to call it uh, Huntington's chorea, and it, it evolved because everybody would just kind of spastic, they lose control of their limbs and so forth. And there was no way to diagnose what this was other than by observation until like 1993, where they discovered a gene. But as you watch, so you watch these young people, they're not elderly. You, you kind of, as you reference Laquita in your book, with Alzheimer's, you kind of, you kind of wrap your mind around somebody, even though the behavior is very difficult to deal with. 
you kind of wrap your mind around that this is a progressively congenitive, uh, congenital neurological mm-hmm. disease. Right. But with Huntington's, you've got a teenager, in your case with Rachel, who yeah. started down this path. And Cynthia was diagnosed, I think, when she was less than 25. Is that correct? Yeah, 25. Uh-huh. 25. Yes. So you, you have a, a normal young person one moment, and then all of a sudden this thing goes into a very, very dark place. Yeah. Uh, you, you've had law enforcement. And I, there was one scene when you, you, you went out there to prep them, please – Understand, she is. She has a disease. Be gentle with her. Talk about that yes. moment for you as a mom. Yes, uh, Elton is the one who went out to the police. You want to mention that, Elton? Yeah, I, I felt they really needed some preparation before coming into the house because I'm sure that there, there are a lot of cases that they're called out to take care of domestic violence, and uh, that's not the frame of reference that they needed in order to handle the situation with Rachel. And it, it's so painful to see your child being tied to a gurney. I'm sorry. But it's it's uh, it's so painful and we we just wanted better treatment for her if possible. And we got it. And uh, thankfully we have uh, brochures now that the Huntington Association publishes that we can give to your local law enforcement to to help them understand, too. One time, Cynthia was uh, almost arrested for drunkenness because they saw, the policeman saw her walking down the street and thought she was drunk. And uh, those things happen when they're out in the community, too. So, well, you know, we expect an awful lot out of our law enforcement. And I know a lot of uh, men and women in law enforcement who, you know, they, they'll all echo that going to the home of a domestic event is, is often the most dangerous for police and first responders. Yeah. And the more education we can provide them, I got a friend of ours whose son has significant mental illness issues, but he's six, four and like almost 300 pounds. I mean, he's a huge guy uh-huh. and, and the safety of everybody's involved. I mean, if you want to, uh, I mean, and he came to the door one time, this particular man, with a paintball gun. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. when your police are called to a domestic disturbance and the and the person shows up at a, a big hulking guy like that and he's, he appears to have some kind of weapon, this thing could go south really quick. And, yeah. and in your case, you had both daughters where law enforcement was called multiple times um, and, and they don't know what to expect. They don't know. They just see somebody's out of control. They, you know, it's not meth, it's not cocaine, it's not heroin. It is a disease that is beyond what people can really wrap their minds around. Uh, there was one scene where you talk about, and the reason I'm spending the time with this, and we're going to we're going to talk about this throughout the program, is because I want people to understand the heartache of of a disease of this level, what it does to the family unit, so that they can respond more in carefully and with great kindness and and not try to to lecture or preach there was one particular moment laquita when you said you just got tired of talking about it because you you didn't want to have to explain to anyone else what hd was it it was it was just exhausting to you talk about that a little bit yes it was it was frustrating because you might want to share because we all need to share things and 
would try to do that, but they would uh, just sort of pass it off as, oh, that's normal. Uh, well, we all have that at times. And, and it, it's not true. This, this, I knew it was not normal. But there we are. Uh, it, I just began to be quiet and not try to tell Well, we're going to talk some more about that in the next block here. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We're talking with Laquita and Elton Higgs. Their book is Shattered Dreams, But Hope. And they have two daughters with HD, Huntington's disease. We'll be right back. Don't go away. I love the cooperation between the gifts that these men have. Ezra was a scribe. He knew the law. He knew what to say. Nehemiah was a leader, and God did a great work. Nehemiah had a vision. He prayed about it. He exerted leadership and motivated people. And then when the going got tough, he kept on going. Bert Harper and Alex McFarland, advancing through the scriptures, weekday afternoons at 3 Central on American Family Radio's Exploring the Word. Airing the Addisons. Sherry B. and J. Mack are on tap to help us navigate the show. Well, the great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Brad in Arkansas. Hi, Brad. Good afternoon. I enjoy your show as always. Applying scripture to life. You can talk about anything that we have discussed this week or maybe something that you want to bring to our attention. If we don't know about it, we're just going to tell you we don't know about it. You know, and then you'll just have to, you know, judge me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Airing the Addisons. Weekdays at 2 Central on American Family Radio. Ever had your boss ask you to come into his office for a chat? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's awful, that awkward, intimidating stroll into a threatening setting. You know you're there for one reason, criticism. Yuck. No one likes to hear about failure and letting the boss down. And guess what? It's no different for teens. Parents wonder why kids can't wait to flee the household, to hang out with their friends, or park in front of a computer screen to play video games. Hey, sometimes they're just trying to escape the disapproval they feel from teachers and peers and parents, too. Would your teen see your home as a place of rest or just another source of criticism? It's okay to take a break. Lighten up. Your teen will thank you. Learn how to get your teen back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com. Caregiver, this is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver, and we're so glad that you are with us. I'm talking with Laquita and Elton Higgs. Their new book is Shattered Dreams But Hope, Encouragement for Caregivers of Huntington's Disease and Other Progressive Illnesses. This this conversation we're having is very much focused on HD, Huntington's Disease, but the principles they get, they uh, they share within this book that they glean through a brutal journey that is still ongoing um, apply across the board to all of us as caregivers. And we would um, I just I want to just take some time on this. So Laquita in the book I'm jumping right back into this. Here's something you uh, actually Elton I want to ask you about this. You wrote this for an online group. You said, I think what we all experience as Huntington's disease caregivers, HD caregivers, 
has at its core the disappointed expectation that our loved one really should and could do better than she does or he does. Caring for an obviously handicapped person crippled or mentally deficient from birth or even with advanced Alzheimer's seems so much more straightforward since there's no perception that the person has the ability to do more or be less difficult. Or in the case of a baby, we lavish care on him or her, even though it is very taxing, not being deterred or tormented by the idea that their behavior is perversely selfish. So when we look at a baby, we see the baby whining, crying, everything else. We know that they're not being perversely selfish. But with HD, they're doing this same kind of behavior as an adult, but they also have the ability to reason certain things out. It seems like they're, they're selective on what they can do and can't do and won't do and will do. Talk a little bit about that and that realization you came to. Uh, I'm, I'm a person who uh, spent my career in an academic setting. And an academic setting is supposed to emphasize the uh, the use of reasoning and logic and, and so on. And uh, you you try to proceed on the uh, assumption that if you just speak calmly and with common sense that you're going to be successful in whatever relationship you're trying to manage. And all of that is out the window when you're dealing with a Huntington's patient because the Huntington's patient may not even herself uh, be able to understand the lack of logic in what they're doing. And if they don't understand it, then uh, how can somebody uh, outside their minds uh, pretend to comprehend it? And so that, that was a big adjustment in thinking and approach that both of us had to uh, accept, as Laquita's already expressed, uh, you you exercise your responsibility to keep the environment safe and to put whatever boundaries are in, need to be in place to do that. But uh, in matters of pure preference or convenience, uh, always be prepared to uh, yield some ground. And those expectations were very much a, a, alive for our Rachel our 28-year-old daughter who uh, was diagnosed just before her 18th birthday. And she she knew what Huntington's was and looked like because she watched her mother die, her biological mother of it. And, and so that's where we got the title, Shattered Dreams. Those expectations she had of a normal life to eventually be married and have children and whatever career she wanted, but no, she knew that was all gone, and it was a very painful time for her. She became severely depressed. You wrote in your journal, and and I want you to talk about how important it is to keep a journal um, for those who are going through not only just this, but other things. But you wrote in there, she said, uh, unfortunately, it was like acting like a child, but unfortunately, she was not trainable like a child. Mm-hmm. That must have been a very painful thing for you to write. I would imagine you got a lot of tear stains in your journal. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> and I, I agonized, too, over my role. As, uh, and I knew I wasn't doing it well. And so it was it was therapeutic on many counts. 
I, uh, for me, but it also was very, very useful uh, because later we could look back and trace some of the behavior, and uh, and that was especially important with social services when we began to be hooked up with them to, to document uh, certain behaviors and, and, well, just appointments, visits to the doctor and so on. But it was the anecdotal uh, journal that I kept. I kept two. I kept one for the official appointment. But then, and that medical history. Yes. But the uh, the anecdotal journal told of the day-to-day uh, episodes or activities, and um, that was so useful. Of course, useful when I wrote the book. And I read, read and reread it, and yes, I cried over it. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll let whichever wish, uh, one of you wants to address this, but I want to read this. Two of the staff, uh, once, once uh, let me back up, once after a suicide attempt, Cynthia had to be taken by ambulance to the University of Michigan emergency room where she tried to escape. Two of the staff managed to catch her before she ran out the door, but as they dragged her back, she screamed at me, why are you letting them do this to me? Those words pierce my soul and still bring tears to my eyes. She had to be put into a straitjacket for a few hours. And then you wrote this line. Yes, love sometimes means that we have to do some very hard things. Yes. Yes. You wrote that, Every- Laquita, but whichever one of you wants to talk about that, or both of you. No, I think Laquita first. Every time we had to call um, uh, the police or something for help, um, oh, it was so, so painful. Um, it was so difficult because that that wasn't the way we normally operated. But and to see that happen to our child, that it was devastating. I, I think we need to interject here, though, that we in uh, in our present situation see the hope side of it. Uh, we went through the period of uh, uh, of our living together. And uh, being there firsthand to see the shattered dreams and uh, not to be able to fix it, we just had to sort of uh, find ways of putting parameters around it. And as Laquita says, uh, love uh, to the best of the ability that God gave us. But we were just in a counseling session today and uh, commenting. With, with the Rachel. Yeah, with Rachel. Her speech is very difficult to understand now, and so the counselor asked us to continue being with her right. in that. But we were able to tell him uh, that things at present uh, are working well between us and Rachel. Yes, in, in both cases, with both daughters, uh, the behavior became so extreme that we were just uh, we we couldn't handle it, and so uh, both were placed into adult foster care. And with especially with Rachel now, and I think it helped that we had learned a lot. Um, it, we have a wonderful relationship with her now uh, because we're not the mean parents trying to uh, keep her on the straight and narrow. But she, uh, we we just enjoy each other. We have her home with us three days a week. Uh, and she's here right now, in fact. And uh, that's beautiful experience now. And, and so, you know, well, I think with all... I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, with all these these shattered dreams and, and 
and expectations that will never be met. We're better people for it, and I'm thankful that that the Lord led us in, onto this path. It was he he did very specifically. We felt we were to adopt the older one, Cynthia, and um, it, I know we're far better people than we would have been otherwise. And when well, we that's begin- something I want to I want to spend a little bit of time gleaning from you all you you did write in this the lord was teaching me what true love is it loves even when we receive nothing not even a smile or a kind word in return and i don't think anything uh describes the love that our savior has for us any better than that i mean he loved us uh, paul said while we were yet enemies with him and you guys have had to walk in that kind of love where you've had your child screaming at you, abusing you, beating you, cheating you, stealing from everything. And you've had to do that in love. And I want to give you an opportunity just to share how you've been able to tap into the inexhaustible love of God through this. Elton, would you take that one first? Yeah. Um, One of the practical things that we learned uh, in Uh, very tense situations with uh, both daughters was just to stop right in the middle, Laquita and I, and to say a prayer. Sometimes just mostly easy, a silent prayer, but we need to You know, we're we're at the end of our wits. We really don't know how to react, Lord. We need to... Let me me interject. I know both of you are PhDs, but I bet you those prayers weren't very academic, were they? I bet they weren't even. <laughs> not, not, not publishable prayer, prayers. I think. <laughs> those are the, but I think those are the best prayers, and they reach the heart of God, and they touch because those are honest prayers. Dear God, help us. We don't know what to do. Lord, yeah, you know, help. Help is a is a complete prayer. Yeah, and and time and time again, he came through. We were able to find some way of resolving the situation, whatever it was. Yes, he's marvelous. <laughs> he is so and good. He is. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Amen. Even in the face of something so horrific as Huntington's disease. I'm just going to say, I like to say, the longer we live, the better the Lord's record gets. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> We're talking with Laquita and Elton Higgs. Uh, they're talking about their journey through Huntington's disease, not just with one, but with two, their daughter, and then subsequently their granddaughter, who they also adopted and became a guardian for. If you need information about Huntington's disease, would you go to hdsa.org, and they have a lot of information there to provide you with in, uh, insights and how you can care. If you don't have this in your family, there are people that you may interact with and how you can care for them. We're going to be back in just a moment here with more with from their book, Shattered Dreams But Hope, with Quina Higgs and Elton Higgs, very highly trained, disciplined individuals who came up against something that cannot be controlled. And I want you to hear the rest of their story and their faith. This is Peter Rosenberg, and this is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries 
and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me. But over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies. And with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit StandingWithHope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's StandingWithHope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and creation researcher with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, have you ever seen drawings of dinosaur-like creatures on rock walls left by the Indians? Yes, Chris, I have seen them, and they are amazing. People from every continent have drawn pictures and fashioned art objects after the likeness of dinosaurs. These predate our modern discovery of dinosaur fossils, proof that man and dinosaur lived together. Evolutionists, of course, dismiss these as fanciful dream tales. They believe that the amazing dinosaurs, with all their internal complexity and the DNA code, could evolve by chance random processes. Maybe it's easier to think that wind and water erosion produce these dinosaur pictographs on the rocks. I'm being fanciful, of course. But at least the back-to-Genesis viewpoint is consistent within itself. To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Visit our web store at icr.org store and use the promo code FACT at the checkout when ordering your That's a Fact DVD. Where there's a treasure at the end of this narrow road I'm traveling and it gives Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver, and we're so glad that you're with us. HopefortheCaregiver.com. HopefortheCaregiver.com. If you have comments, things you want to share, just go out to the website, and there's a little form there on the front you can fill out. If you want me to call you from the program, I'll be glad to do it. If you want just whatever's on your heart and mind, just send me a note. Um, Healthy caregivers make better caregivers, and part of that journey of healthiness is not being isolated. And that's why we do the program is to penetrate into the isolation uh, that that cripples us as caregivers. We're talking with Laquita and Elton Higgs, their new book, Shattered Dreams, but hope you can go out and get it on Amazon or and, and I'm sure some other places as well and get this book. It's their journey through Huntington's disease, HD as it's now known, uh, which is a horrific disease that has massive complications for families uh, who are in, involved with this. And their their journey not only spanned one individual, but a second. And what happens oftentimes, um, as, as they share in the book, that the disease affects the cognitive and reasoning part of, in addition to everything else, but that of the, the, the person who has it, and they act out horribly inappropriately hypersexually, all these kinds of things. And as is the case with their daughter, um, she went out and, and she got pregnant. And then she brought this child in the world knowing that it could have this disease. And Laquita and Elton adopted their own granddaughter, who also acted out much later and did repeated the process. But that, that had a different um, direction after that one. 
when, when that child came in, it was it, it, another couple stepped in and adopted that child. There's very brutal things that they had to deal with. There was one scene, Elton, in the book that you, uh, Laquita referenced <clears throat> about standing in front of a judge because there's a lot of law enforcement involved with this, and the judge basically just condemned you all as bad parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that that was really hard to take. Talk about that. The judge had not done her homework sufficiently to know what she was dealing with. To her, this was just a, a, an adult child engaged in disorderly conduct and uh, the parents should have done a better job. But you couldn't speak back to the judge. You couldn't say, well, judge, <laughs> you need about 20 minutes to understand. You just have to swallow it and go on. And uh, when you're out in public and people stare, you know, there too, you can't stop and explain what's going on. You just have to... Uh, assume it's going to take place and go your way uh, and be a little bit thick-skinned. That that had to be painful, but translate that experience in front of an earthly judge to how you've come to see yourself in front of the heavenly judge, God our Father, and how he <laughs> views you all through this and how that's changed in your life. That's a, that's a good... Uh, good way to approach it. I think I would say that as we uh, look at our heavenly judge, uh, we don't presume to say, uh, well, Lord, we finally got it right. Uh, all we can say to him is, uh, thank you for being faithful and not giving up on us as caregivers and uh, continually renewing our strength and uh, giving us sources of uh, getting new information that would uh, help us in the process of dealing with uh, those we're caring for. Well, sometimes as caregivers, the judge we stand before that condemns us each day is ourselves, And we, <laughs> we pass right. judgment on ourselves. Yeah. And you've come to wrestle with that because both of you did. You're, you're very candid in this book. Uh, that we got it wrong, we did this, with this, and God didn't give up on you. Why are you judging yourself when our Heavenly Father is not? And this is an issue that all of us as caregivers are going, I think it's I think it's the human condition. We just deal with it in the crucible of caregiving. But what would you say, either one of you or both of you, to those individuals who are looking in the mirror every day and judging themselves without mercy, very much like that judge did to you all who had no comprehension of what you were carrying and you just had to suck it up and take it. But when you stand before God, you don't. He is a God of mercy. He sees our distress and he took all of this on himself. Laquita and Elton, what would you say to couples or individuals right now who are looking in the mirror every day with, with harshness at themselves? You know, I, I really have come to, to believe that one of our failings as Christians is to fail to trust God for his love, that he loves us so very much more than even we, we think we love our children just as much as, as possible, and we do, but he loves us even more. So I, I, when I hear people, 
people talking about being afraid or something or or, or having a hard time, think, oh, trust him for his love because he loves you. He's going to be with you and give you strength and help you. You're all right because you can trust him. I, I think I would say to uh, people, um, first of all, uh, we're all in the same boat. And, and we need all of us together to be continually reminded that our standing before God doesn't come from anything except the blood of Jesus that covers all the bad stuff and uh, makes us stand before him as his children. This amazing idea of being a child of God and his treating us with the compassion that we know how to treat our own children. Why should we think anything less of God? And also, uh, can we really uh, uh, think about God as one who not only expects us to bear the burden, the the intolerable burden sometimes of caregiving, but to suffer guilt for not doing it well enough? I can't conceive of God being (laughs) the kind of person who would subject us to that double jeopardy. (laughs) I remember when we put, uh, had to put Cynthia in the first one into uh, foster care. Um, I I prayed so often, Lord, forgive me. I did such a a bad job. Forgive me. I wish I could do it over. Well, (laughs) well, then finally Rachel came along and I got to do it over, (laughs) which I thought, well, the Lord has has a good sense of humor too, but but he's been so faithful all the time, teaching us, showing us, and helping us. Uh, even even now at our stage of life, when we're more limited in, in energy than we used to be, uh, he still enables us to do what we can in regard to Rachel. A lot of people will say some of the words that you just said about the faithfulness of God, but they don't say it with the resume of caring for somebody with Huntington's disease. And when you say it, it brings such a weight to it because I have a, a small taste of the journey behind you uh, as a caregiver. You know, that's one of the reasons for keeping a journal, too, I think, is that uh, as we record things that go on and, and how the Lord has helped us through this, uh, that means a lot, and, and so often we've looked back to when we first uh, chose to adopt Cynthia, the first one that uh, we we were offered. Well, we had said we would take a handicapped child. Uh, we already had one child who was perfect, but and when and when I read about Huntington's, there wasn't much back then. But when I read about, it, I thought, no way, I'm not going to get involved in that. Because they talked about psychiatric changes, and um, but then we did continue praying, and the good Lord let us know, yes, you are to adopt this child. And going back to that, we've gone back to that more than once. That this is the Lord's will for us, and so I've come to believe that whatever circumstance we're in, we're to be thankful, as He told us on the morning of Cynthia's funeral, to be thankful. Thessalonians 5.18, I think it is. But to be grateful for where he's put us, uh, even though it's so hard, there's reason for it. 
there's it it gives us the opportunity to care for one of those little ones that's mentioned in Matthew 25. For as much as you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. And so it really helps to to think on these things and to remember we're doing it for him and there's purpose. Well, in the last minute or two that we have, I want to give this quote. There is a need in all HD caregivers. This is from your book. This, there is a need in all HD caregivers to determine not to give Huntington's disease any victories. But in addition to that, for believing caregivers, there is the need to trust and praise God for the abundant life that he is so willing to give both to us and to our precious loved ones. Let God love you. And I think that is a an appropriate benediction to this message that you have brought to us today. It is a sermon from your life. Your life is a sermon. It is a testimony to what God can do in such harsh circumstances. I want to encourage folks to get your book, spend some time with it, and and if you know somebody that is dealing with Huntington's disease in their family, please be willing to reach out to them after reading this book. Don't do it first. Read the book first. It's on Amazon. And, and some other places, Shattered Dreams But Hope, Encouragement for Caregivers of Huntington's Disease and Other Progressive Illnesses, Laquita Higgs and Elton Higgs. And I want you to know how much I appreciate both of you coming on the program today. Well, we appreciate the Thank privilege you. of being with you. It is, um, it is a tough journey that you've had, but I marvel at what you've become through this. And I thank you for sharing that with us today and with my audience. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.